This is a free download from the Lancet Eden Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. in the Lancet Eden Church building at the bank in Stephenson in the Challenger Island of Sandwich. To contact us or find out more information about us, please visit our website at thelancetelen.co.uk. Praise God. If you've got Bibles with you, if you could turn to Ephesians 1, verse 20. The two, two verses. You should have notes there a little bit, which I thought would... Uh, you, you understand my confusion, if you like, so it can hopefully make a bit, a bit more sense of what I'm going to share with you this morning. Uh, sometimes you can look at those notes and you kind of go back and go back over them and just kind of get a hold of what we're kind of saying. Ephesians 1 verse 20. It says, Which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and he seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. If you go down a little bit to Ephesians 2 verse 4 and 5. I love this phrase here, but God. It tells us what we were like, but it says, but God. It's one of my favorite verses in 2 verse 4. But God who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By Christ you have, by grace you have been saved. He raised us up together and he made us, notice this word, he made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Just open that phrase there, sit together. After uh, we can know the kind of if you like the words, the theological terms of that, but actually to live in the experience of that. Uh, someone said that Ephesians is a manual how to change the world. I thought, how awesome is that? What a great description of a book. But someone said that, I think it's one of my favourite books, Ephesians. And someone declared it's a manual of how to change the world. One of the books that really impacted my life, really, uh, was a book by, it's only a small book, but by a book, by Watchman Nee. How many have heard of Watchman Nee? Now, Watchman Nee was a, was a Chinese believer in the 1920s sort of time, that kind of, that kind of time limit. And he, he actually ended up, he was, he was heavily persecuted, put in prison, as a, for, for, uh, really persecuted as, as a believer during the time of persecution that came to China. Uh, and he wrote a number of books. And one of his, to me, one of his books that really impacted me was a book called uh, Sit, Walk, Stand. And it was, it's only a very small book, and if you get a chance, you, how many got Kindle? How many got Kindle? How many got Kindles? Oh, I love, you can get them just, I think this particular book is a couple of pounds if you want to get a Kindle. It's a, it's a great book, Watchman Nee, uh, sit, sit, Walk, Stand. And, and he says, it's basically Ephesians has got six chapters. The first three are all about being seated with Christ, your position with Jesus. The next two chapters are all about how you work that out, your walking, how you work that out, how you relate to people, how you, you practically work out that, that experience. And the last chapter is all about standing, about our posture towards the enemy. And here's the, here's the funny thing when you look at it. In our minds, 
we look at that and often it seems opposite to the way we think it should be when you think about it. See, we often start by standing because we think we're going to fight the battle and we're going to really rush it, we're going to fight and we're going to do that. And we think that's the way we start. So we fight, we're battling. Then after that, we then sort of begin to work it through and begin to work through it. And eventually we think, after all that, I can just sit. But he says, actually, no, that's not true because you don't begin by standing. You don't even begin by walking. You actually begin by sitting. And that, to me, is such an incredible revelation because often we don't get that. We... We often sort of have it in the wrong order. And sometimes the Lord says, you have it backwards. We begin by being established in who we are in Jesus. That's where we begin. We don't begin even with the walking. We don't begin with the standing. We begin by being established in Jesus. By being rooted in all that he does. Allowing our roots allowing ourselves to be rooted and established in all that Jesus has done. The Bible says the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is now at work in us. Isn't that awesome? Think about that. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is now at work in us. And the Bible says that, you think about this, that Ephesians 1 says everything has been put under the feet of Jesus. Is that true? Now, here's the point. If everything has been put under the feet of Jesus, where have you been seated? You've been seated with Christ. So if you've been seated with Christ, then that means that everything actually is also under your feet. And sometimes when we come against the enemy, we're kind of battling him, if you like, trying to rise up to him. But the truth is, we battle from that downward position. We don't fight the devil from an earthly point of view. We actually fight him from that upward. We, if you like, we, we don't under-attack, but we over-attack. <coughs> Someone said something which I thought was so powerful. That actually, we can't change the world outside of us until we change the world inside of us. Sometimes we're trying to change things around us before we've learned to change the things inside us. And that's when it really begins. We never really change things outside of us, really, until the things inside us change. And you'll find this, that when we change things inside us, it actually has an incredible effect on the things outside of us. That's where it begins. By changing things inside us, we change the things around us. I think the world, really, isn't just looking for people who have to talk. I think the world's looking for people who have the reality of it. That's true. They want the reality of it. And the only way something becomes a reality is when you experience the reality of it. I found this, that people can have incredible arguments, but the one thing that always silences an argument is an experience. You know, you can argue all kinds of things ultimately, but it's very hard to argue against somebody who's got an experience, who's got the reality of that. And once you've got the reality... Of Christ in you. You've got the reality that you're seated with Jesus in heavenly places. And have the at work of that. When you've got the reality of that, when it's really inside you, you've got the reality of that, then I think that experience that you have begins to impact everybody around you. The problem is, this, some of these things are, are, are theological concepts rather than living realities that burn in us. Amen. And I want this morning, this reality of 
of being seated with Christ to burn in you. We're going to look at different we're going to, next week. We'll look at walking with Christ. But the truth is, this is where it begins. We've got to get a hold of this. That I am seated in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. That's where it begins. Let me tell you a few things what it means to be seated. <coughs> how many love to? I love this sense that when you're seated. How many love the fact you take your, you, you take your weight off? You know, you take your weight off your feet, and you know, if, you, if those of you who have particular jobs when you're on your feet a lot, you, how many kind of think it's cool that you just kind of oh, put your feet off? How many, how many enjoy that? And actually, that's what this word means. It actually, means to kind of basically to put your weight on something else. Believe it or not, there's something else right now holding your weight up. That seat. Is that right? That chair is holding your weight up. It's, it's holding you up. And I think being seated with Jesus doesn't often mean he takes away every problem. That you're just allowing him to give you the strength to face sometimes what comes against us. He gives us the strength to meet it. You know, the word grace, sometimes, again, it's a nice term we talk about, but the word grace actually means to empower. It's God empowering you to be all that, you, that he's called you to. You know, none of us in our own ability and strength can, be, can, can live the Christian life out. Is that true? None of us can do it in our own power and strength. And God gives you grace to empower you to live the Christian life. Isn't that awesome? That's what grace is. It's God empowering you to be all that he has called you to be. And what we're talking about this morning, when we're talking about being seated, it's actually a sign of dependence. It's learning to be dependent on... What was that? I don't know, I did that. Oh, cool. It's, it's learning to be dependent on Jesus. I think one of the great things we need to grasp is, is learning to become more and more dependent on him. I think it's something we need to really come into. Oh, to be dependent on Jesus. Why do we so struggle? Why do we so strive? Finally, we'd learn the lesson of learning to, de- to, to depend on Jesus. To learn to depend upon his energy. How many realise the importance of learning to depend upon his power? The Bible says, I can do all things through who? Christ that strengthens me. Greater is he that's in me than he that is in the world. When Jesus told the disciples to reach the world, he says, don't do anything. Why? Until you have received what? Power. Ability of God to do all that I've called you to be. What's that really? It's resting. It's trusting. It's being dependent on the power of God. Only the power of God ultimately is going to really do it. Allowing his ability. I think here's the problem. When we rely on our own ability and our own power, you know what happens? We live a limited life. If I'm just depending on what I can do, I'm going to be limited. In many, many ways, I'm limited. In other words, and that means I only do the things I feel I can do. And that's a, how many realize that's a kind of limiting type of life? That's not what God's called you to. He's not called you to be limited by your own ability and your own power. But he says, 
that I want to give you the ability and the power so you are able to do things far beyond your imagination, far beyond what you could do in yourself. Why does God work that way? Because that's the only thing that gives him the glory. If you do it in your own power and your own ability, he gets no glory from that. But when you do it, depending and relying on his power and his ability, he gets all the glory. Because people say things, I don't know how you did that. How many you found that? How did you go through that situation? How did you do what you did? How are you able to be who you are? And the truth is, it's the Christ and the power and the ability of God in me. We live unlimited life. It's not based on me. It's based on the power and the limitless power of God as I learn to depend and totally rely on him. Isn't that great? That's what it means. The first thing it means... Being seated means you learn to be dependent on Jesus. Totally relying, totally dependent on him. And the next thing it means, it means to be established. <coughs> Ephesians 2.6 He made us sit together. Now, I'm going to use an illustration to sort of do this. I might need someone's help afterwards because I might not be able to get up out of it. Now, if I use this, this chair, let me just take this. That's what I'm going to need the help for, possibly. I hope I'll be all right. Our idea of being seated is this. That's what we think. We, our idea, that's, if, if I say the word seated, you kind of think of that. And it's, it's, it's partly true. But actually in the Greek, it doesn't mean to be seated in that respect. It actually means, I'm going to show you in a minute, it means to sort of sink down into, which is more of a, I'm going to do that, so I'm going to, it's more of a beanbag thing. Oh, I might not want to get up now. Uh, it means to kind of sink down into you sink down into it there's the that's all right and that's what it means it means to sink down into paul says that i pray that you would be rooted and you would be grounded it means to be kind of rooted in something sink down into not just seated because when you're just seated you kind of you can do it for a certain amount of time, but if I was to say, we're going to sit here now for the next five hours, you get really uncomfortable, is that true? I'm not going to say that, but if you did, you know what I mean? But when you're in that, you're, you're kind of, you kind of going into it, and it's a, it's a place of, of rest, a place of comfortability. And Paul says we need to be rooted. Your strength comes by what you are rooted to. That's where nourishment, that's where strength, that's where it comes to. It's all about being rooted to something. It means being settled in something. It means being going into something. And that's what we're talking about, going deep, allowing your roots to go deep, deep into Jesus. Strength really is the inner man. It's strengthening your inner man. It's allowing the roots of your inner man to flow into Jesus. You know, when I was thinking about this, that just where Carrie, Steph and Lydia live, just over the road from their house, are these trees, just amazing trees. It's like a park they've got. And those trees are just so incredible. They're oak trees and various trees. They're just so high. And I was walking that park with, with Angie's brother, and Angie's brother kind of kinda knows about trees. He says, you know, those trees probably are probably around about 400 years old. And all of a sudden, 400 years old. I thought to myself, you think of that, those trees, 400 years old. I think of all the storms that came across those trees, all the things they experienced. But those trees are still standing strong after all those years. Isn't that awesome? And that really is all about because the roots of that tree. 
the roots of that tree probably go for miles. And the strength of the tree is actually in its roots. And that's true of us. Our strength is not in us. Our strength is when our roots go down deep into Jesus. And almost when our roots are deep, that nothing on the outside can shake us. When your roots go deep, it doesn't matter what people say about you. It doesn't matter what situations come against you. Your roots are deep down in Jesus. I was thinking about this because I think we've all experienced this. You know, often stress, how many realise that stress is something inside us? Is that true? And often stress is that when, when we are processing what's happening around us in a way that doesn't lead to peace. And what it means is, is often people have their stability in what's happening to them. Everything's based on what's happening to them. That's where their stability is. Now, if things are going good for us, we feel great. We feel good. We feel absolutely wonderful. Because often it's based on what's happening to us. We often cause... I mean, realise there's a difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is based on happenings. So when good things are happening to you, you're happy. You feel really happy because... And when miserable things happen to you, you're not very happy because, it's, because your stability is found on what is happening. And often people have their stability based on happenings. And that is so unstable because the roots of that aren't very deep, aren't very strong. Because your circumstances change from day to day. Is that true? But there's one happening that your roots need to go right down into. You know what they need to go down to? In what happened 2,000 years ago. That's where your roots need to go. That's where your stability is found. Your stability is not found in your circumstances. Your stability is not found in your feelings because your feelings are just... They're just fleeting, aren't they? Don't our feelings change all the time? We can't just... They're not, they don't bring stability. But when your roots go down into Calvary, when your roots go down to what Jesus did for you 2,000 years ago, then it's going to create deep roots, it's going to create deep stability, and you are going to be established. And there's two realities that you and I need to be very powerfully established in. And the first reality is this. Without him, you can do nothing. I think that's a reality that needs to go deep down into every heart. We need to be rooted in the fact, without him, I can do nothing. You can exist, but you can't really enjoy life without him. You can manage your sin, but you'll never, but through Jesus you can overcome it. Just that reality, Jesus, that reality without you, I can do nothing. Just the reality of that. And when your life gets rooted in that, wow, what stability that brings. To know without him, I can do nothing. Really, that's what prayer is all about. When we are prayerless, what we are actually saying is this, Lord, I don't really need you. I can do this without your help. Prayer is the way that you communicate to God, God, I need you. Without you, I can do nothing. So the first reality I need to be rooted in is without him, I can do nothing. The second reality is this. In a sense, it sounds the opposite, but this is how it works. That without him, I can do nothing, but with him, I can do everything. I can do what? All things through Christ that strengthens me. Without him, I can't do anything, but with him, I can do anything. 
And that word actually means I can do everything that he has called me to do through the Christ within me that strengthens me and gives me the ability to do it. We need his strength. You see, God is unlimited in his resources. And it's all down to this one fact. Learning to be great receivers. If I'm to do all things who through Christ who strengthens me, that means I need to learn to receive the strength that he wants to give me. He can have all the strength, but if I don't receive it, then it's not going to really do me much good. So I think the greatest Christians ultimately are the greatest receivers. Because you can't give what you've not received. Is that true? So often the greatest Christians are those who are the greatest receivers. You'll find in sports, the greatest teams are always teams that have people that position themselves to always be able to receive the ball, whatever it is. The good positioners, the good receivers. And throughout the Bible, the people who impacted our world Italy were people who were great receivers. They just received all that God had for them. They positioned themselves for all that God wanted to do. They were great receivers. And, and, and God wants to pour into us. He wants to, us to be great receivers of what he wants us to do. The Webster's Dictionary describes the word to receive. It means to come into possession of or to inquire. And that's what God says. I want you to come into possession I want you to acquire all that I have for you. You know, Revelation chapter 3. One of the churches there was a church called Laodicea. How many have heard of that church? The church of Laodicea. And Jesus had this against the church. They had a attitude that was prevalent that said, we don't need anything from you. We don't need a thing. We are doing so well. Have you, ever been a, have you ever been so upset that you feel sick? Have you ever done that? You, you just feel so upset. You can't, and you just, you just feel sick because you feel so upset. And actually, that's what Jesus said. He says, I'm so upset. And remember, he says, I'm knocking at the door and you won't let me in. Imagine that. Jesus is outside the church, knocking on the door, and the very church won't let him in. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that crazy? He says, I'm knocking on the door, but you won't let me in. You won't let me work on your behalf. You won't receive what I have for you. And because of your attitude, I feel sick. I feel so sick because you've grieved me. Because you're not putting yourself in a position where you can receive what I have for you. See, God's grieved when we don't receive all the things he wants to give to us. All the things he wants to pour in to our life. I love the fact that Jesus takes a child and says, you know what the kingdom of God's like? And we're thinking, wow, it's going to be some really deep, sophisticated truth. He says, this is what the kingdom of God's like. It's like a child. And it's something you never, ever grow out of. Because childlikeness is dependency. You see, you and I, we're not going to just make it by our personality. We're not going to make it by our talents. We're not going to make it by our giftings. We're not going to make it by our reasoning. When those things are submitted to God, they're powerful. But those things in isolation from him will not work. And the more we grow in him, the more dependent on him we come. 
See, I think a mark of growth, actually, is learning to become more and more dependent on him. I'll tell you what God wants to do in these days. <coughs> he wants us to bring us to a place where without him, we're not going to do it. I often wonder, and I think a guy called A.W. Tozer said this many, many years ago, if the Holy Spirit was suddenly taken out of your life, how different would your life be? Isn't that a challenge? What would happen? How different would you be? That's a big challenge, isn't it? How different would we be? I think there should be just an amazing difference. We should almost be unrecognisable if that was the case. Because there's that point in our life where we say, Lord, I'm just childlikely dependent on you. Totally and completely. That childlikeness, that, that childlike trust, that childlike dependence. And you never grow out of it. You, you, you deepen in it. You grow in it. Because the place where God works is when we say, God, I can't do it. I need you. And God brings you. I mean, you realize that you can always tell what God's calling you to do. It'll always be something beyond your ability to do it. That's how you know it's God. Is that true? Because God will never call you to, to do something you can do in your own power and ability. He'll always cause you to do something that's beyond you to do it. And so you need him to do it. You're dependent on him to do it. Isn't that awesome? That's how he works. That's how he works. I love Heidi Baker. She's a, I think she's an amazing woman of God. And as you read, as, as I've read a story recently, just read some of the amazing things in Mozambique. I mean, a whole nation, I'm talking about a nation just touched by what they're doing. It's awesome. It's amazing. You know, I mean, she, went, she went through a lot of years. And she's actually a clever girl. She's actually got a doctor. In, she's a doctor in theology. She's a, got a theologically doctorate, whatever that is. And, and the point is, she, she actually was, when she went, first went there, she, she was there for, for seven or eight years and never saw anything happen. For years and years, nothing. Until she realized, without him, I can do nothing. And God met her. And she had an incredible encounter with God. And she started going into the villages. And before she said a word, she used to say to them, are there any deaf in the villages? Are there any deaf people here? And the deaf used to come. And to begin with, she saw just a little bit of success. But as she pressed in, as she, as she came with a childlike heart, she got to the point where she saw 100% of every deaf person she prayed for was healed. Now she's working on the blind. And they're seeing a lot of breakthrough there, but not that kind of level yet. But she pressed in. It didn't, but she had this childlike heart that says, God, if you said it, I believe you can do it. And she never let go of that. She had that childlike heart. And out of that childlike heart, a whole nation has been shaken. Can you say amen? And I believe that God can do the same thing for us if we would just learn the power of resting and depending on what God can do. Here's the final kind of third thing, really. Sitting is foundational. When we're talking about sitting with Christ, we're not talking about something that you go through, like a kind of some, something that a phrase, a phase that you go through. It's absolutely foundational. Have you thought about this truth? The Bible says that on the sixth, that, on the, that after God had created over the six days, on the seventh day, what did he do? The Bible says he, he rested. On the sixth day, he created man. Now, here's the amazing thing. So, basically, the first day for Adam was rest. Think about it, it was his rest. 
And here's the point. Out of rest, then Adam worked. God, first of all, didn't create him to work. God created him to what? Rest. He began that way. So basically, you think about this. There's the part of it. God, he rested. Man was rested on the Men rested on the seventh, and the first thing they did together was rest. God works, then rests. Adam rests, then God, I love this, accomplishes. And before you do anything, we need to be established in what Jesus has done for us. How many believe the good news? I believe the good news is far better than we ever imagined. Look at Romans 6, verse 6. says, knowing this, and there's that phrase, knowing it. This isn't some sort of nice concept, but you've got to know it. Knowing this, our old self was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should be no longer slaves to sin. See, Jesus was not only crucified for us, he was crucified as us. Isn't that awesome? He, wasn't just, he didn't just die for you, he died as you. Now, Watchman Nee gives the illustration. He says, if you put a pound in a magazine and you burnt the magazine, you would set fire both to the magazine and you set fire to the notes. They both would be burnt. And what he's trying to put over to us, and I want you to get a hold of this, is that when Jesus died, you died with him. Your old nature ceased. Your old nature was put to death. Your old nature was removed. The issue is not whether that has happened. The issue is, is whether we believe it. It's an historical fact that when Christ was crucified, your old nature was crucified with him. And it all begins by sitting. All beginning to believe that when Jesus died, my old nature died with him. Christianity does not begin with a big do, it it begins with a big done. How are we going to deal with the habits? How do we deal with the things that we struggle with? And many of the reasons why we struggle with things because we don't grasp this truth. We struggle with things because we think those things have power over us. And the devil wants you to believe those habits, those things you struggle with, actually have power over you. But the reality is, they are done with. They are finished with. When Christ died, you died with him. All those things were finished and done with. We've just got to come to a point and say, I believe it. I believe my old nature was dead. I believe my old nature was finished with. I believe that when Jesus died... All that I was died with him. And when that truth kind of gets out of your heart, when the enemy tries to remind you of your past, when the enemy tells you you've got this problem, that problem, you say, hold on here. The truth is, my old nature has died. It's finished with. Let me give you one verse. Soon I could talk about that, but Colossians 3, verse 3. Colossians 3, verse 3. For you died. How many see this is trying to be emphasized? You died. You died. You died. You died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. Let me give you an illustration of what I mean by this. Someone offends you. 
And I'm sure that never happens to you. <laughs> Someone offends you, and, you, and often when, we, when that happens, we kind of, and you see them, you say, hello, there's that kind of thing, isn't there? And, and, but the point is, when a person realises that they have been raised with Christ, they realise that they've learned to be, they've been learning to sit with Christ, they begin to see that the old, unforgiving nature was crucified with Christ. You see, the old, forgiving, the old, unforgiving man doesn't reign in my life any longer. Can you see that? Because it's Jesus that lives in me. He's given me a new creation. I'm in him and he's in me. And he says here, he is your life. Now the life of Jesus is a forgiving nature. How many realise that? I say, Lord, I can't forgive that person in my own strength and my own ability. But I really believe that you are a forgiving. You are a loving God. And I'm living in you. And I'm asking that that, that your loving ability, your, your forgiving nature will flow through me. And when you begin to allow that to happen, you begin to rise above those things. Jesus Christ is my life. He can love them. He can forgive them. What? Through me. Living in my life. How many have ever seen those escalators? I'm talking about the ones on the floor. It's, I think in Gatwick, or I know Manchester Airport's got them. I love those things, because you just walk there, and, and you just go really fast. I mean, we notice those things. And our girls used to sort of do a thing, they used to try and run after me. And I, I wouldn't do it, but I'd just walk, and I'd just, they'd be trying to run, and you just walk on, and it's, and it's so cool. And the same way, that's the Christian life. Some people are really, you know, trying to forgive, they're just weary struggling. And all the time, there's a spiritual escalator that you could just stand on and say, Jesus, I can't do this. Would you live your life through me? I'm depending and relying on you. Would you just live it through me? And when you kind of do that, you're going to go fast, man. He's going to live his life through you. Someone said this, when you are established, it's your new nature becoming second nature. Isn't that awesome? Your new nature becomes second nature. Now let me close by this very quickly. Sitting is an ongoing activity. When you're facing trials, when you come against disappointments, when you come against setbacks, what do you do? You struggle, strive, and you learn to sit. And you begin to remember what the Lord has done for you. And if he did it before, he's going to do it again. You know, there's one thing the enemy's not afraid of. He's not afraid of busy people. He's not afraid of talented people. See what I tell the devil's afraid of? He's afraid of people at peace. He's afraid of people of peace. Because it's the God of peace who will crush Satan under his feet. So you need to learn to, sort of, to just sit. It's an ongoing activity. You just sit and rest when all the things come against you. Instead of trying to struggle and beat it, you just say, Lord, I'm just going to sit with you and allow your strength and your ability to flow through me. And lastly... Learn to receive fresh revelation. Every time you receive fresh revelation, it calls for a sitting down. You know, instead of Mary, it says she pondered it in her heart. When she saw all the things that took place, she pondered it. Why did she do that? 
because she wouldn't forget it. That's why we got record of it right here and there, because she pondered what took place. Do you remember the, the parable of the sower? The Bible says that some seed fell on the ground. Never went into the ground for the ground to grow. It, it, stopped, on, it stopped on top of the ground. Never, it never pierced the ground. And sometimes we can receive revelation. We can receive truths. But it never gets inside our hearts. Why? Because we don't ponder enough for it to get inside us. We, we hear it and then we forget it and we move on. But we need to learn when you get a fresh revelation to ponder it and let it go down into your heart. Let it go deep down. And begin to think on it. Begin to meditate on it. Begin to, to, to allow that truth to go inside your heart. Because otherwise, the devil's going to come and he's going to steal it. And we've got to learn to allow the revelations that God gives us to get inside our hearts, to ponder it. And say, Lord, today, I'm going to think on that truth. You know, sometimes we, can read, we could read 25 chapters of the Bible and forget everything we've read. Is that true? <laughs> and you could just have one phrase that you think about. All through the week you think about it, you ponder it. And that truth has far more power to change your life than reading 35 chapters. Not that you shouldn't, I'm just saying. We've got to learn to, when you get a fresh revelation, just ponder it, think on it. How do I put that into action? How do I use it? Don't forget it, ponder it. Don't allow the devil. I think there's so many revelations that God wants to give to the church and gives to people that we lose it because we allow the devil to come and steal it. Let me close with this. Have you ever had a revelation about loving people? And the moment you get outside, then the moment you get outside, somebody scratched your car, <laughs> like me. You know what I mean? And, and, you know, suddenly the revelation of love suddenly begins to sort of, begins to disappear. Why? Because the devil wants to steal it from you. But when you ponder and say, Lord, I'm not going to let go of that truth. I'm going to hold on to it. I'm going to ponder it. I'm going to get down in my heart. And you live it out. You're never going to lose it. You're going to be established and rooted in it. Let's stand, shall we? <coughs> what I do, want to do this morning, I want to pray a blessing for the coming year over your lives, over your hearts. And I think I did this last year. And I, I just think, it's, I think blessing is a powerful thing. The blessing of the Lord. And all the blessings we're speaking, I'm going to declare this morning, are, are not some idea I've had, but they're, they're based on the Word of God. So there are all these things we talk about, they're all right now in the Word of God. So maybe just put your hand in your heart if, if you feel comfortable in doing that. And I just want to speak a blessing on you on this coming year. That, these, that what we pray, what we declare today will be just true in your coming year for the coming days in your life. In the name of Jesus Christ, I bless you with the promises of God, which are yes and amen. May the Holy Spirit make you healthy and strong in body, mind and spirit to move in faith and expectancy. May God's angels be with you to protect you and keep you. Be blessed with supernatural strength to turn your eyes from foolish and worthless and evil things. Instead, may you behold the beauty of the things the Lord has planned for you as you obey his word. May the Lord bless you, your ears to hear the lovely, uplifting and encouraging. May you shut out the, the demeaning and the negative things. May your feet walk in holiness. May your steps be ordered by the Lord. May your hands be tender, helping hands to those in need. Hands that bless. May your heart be humble and receptive to be one another and the things of God and not to the word. May your mind be strong, disciplined, balanced and, and faith-filled. May God's grace be upon your home. 
but it may be a sanctuary of rest and renewal, a haven of peace, where sounds of joy and laughter may grace its walls, where love and unconditional acceptance of one another is consistent. May God give you success and prosperity in your business and the places of labour as you acknowledge and obey the imperative scripture concerning the tithe. May God give you spiritual strength to overcome the evil one and avoid temptation. May God's grace be upon you to fulfil your dreams and your visions. May goodness and mercy follow you all the days of your long life. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord keep his face to shine upon you. May he be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. I bless you in the name of Jesus. Lord, we give you the praise today that you are a God of blessings. Lord, it's undeserved, unmerited. But I thank you today for your blessing. And Lord, I declare your favour over your people today. Not because we've earned it, but because today, as we've declared already throughout this service, that you are good. And because you are good, you bless and you favour in your mighty name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this free download from Delancey Elam Church. For more downloads or to contact us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk.